Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And Sean, what's our story this week? This is about a soccer coach, a guy called Simon Clifford. He was a, a soccer coach in Leeds in the UK. And Simon, I guess, noticed something about the great talents of the world and that a lot of them came from Brazil. Soccer talents. Soccer talents, absolutely. And so some of the great players from Pelé, you know, onwards, this just one soccer, you know, great after the next came from Brazil. So instead of just sort of looking at that and going, oh, that's an interesting fact, he actually, at the age of 27, packed up his bag, borrowed $8,000 from, you know, friends and family. When was this? Back in 97. Okay, so $8,000 was... uh, Yeah, that meant a little bit, you know, right? And... He grabbed his video recorder, his notebook, over to Sao Paulo, you know, the great city over in Brazil, and spent a year just trying to work out why there was just this hotbed of talent in Brazil. Now, he immediately saw the obvious things, you know, the, you know, the passion for the sport, the tradition, but he also started to notice other things such as, you know, very organized training centers, you know, they were really putting effort into their, their soccer ability. Uh, long practice sessions, phenomenally long practice sessions. So compared practice to what for hours. Hours and hours, absolutely. And, and if you like, overlaying everything was just the, kind of like the desperate poverty in Brazil. You know, people wanted to get out of. They sort of see people like Ronaldo and going, I want to get, you know, a life like that. So soccer is my ticket out of... Definitely that. But the thing that, all these things he thought, yeah, okay, they could make a difference. But the thing that he saw, which really blew him away, was a little game that he saw so many of the players play, which was not soccer, but a game that they call football, football de Saleo. Right? You say that very well. I don't know if I do, but uh, foot, football, football de Saleo. And football de Saleo is actually means really like soccer in the room. Okay, and it's a game that's played with a smaller, a smaller ball, a heavier ball, and in a small court, sort of like the size of a, a half basketball court, for example. Oh, so tiny. tiny yeah, exactly. And they, instead of having 11 players on the field, you have five players on there. And it's really close up and personal, very fast kind of game. And not only that, and because it's so fast and there's a lot of passing, a lot of dribbling, a lot of, you know, just ball handling skills... They, they're touching the ball something like six times more than what you would be doing if you were playing soccer. All right, so so not just practicing for long periods of time, but really high uh, value, like lots of high impact. That's uh, it, exactly. So that repetition is, is sort of coming through. Now, kids as young as five would start playing this game. So, you know, from five to 12, many players don't play soccer at all. They just play essentially what we call futsal now. And, and then they move from there to soccer. And when they move from there to soccer, something amazing happens. All of a sudden, the field is so big and the game, if you like, slows down for them. It's, it's like a, a walk in the park in right, some so ways. Right, so it seems like they have so much time That's on the field. And when a, when a player comes to tackle them, it's not a problem for them. They don't have to kick it away very quickly or just kick it up the field. They have those skills to actually dribble around them or do the short pass, whatever is required. You know, but it, you can tell apparently someone who's had a futsal background to someone who hasn't, right? Just in that confidence of their dribbling skills. So, you know, Simon sees this and goes, "Oh my God, this is this is it." So he goes back to Leeds. In a gutsy move, he he resigns from his teaching job, 
And and he starts off, first of all, the International Confederation of Football de Saleo. So That's he's, an he's, impressive title. He's going for the impressive title, absolutely. And and at the same time, he creates a, a new soccer, I guess, school, you know, the Brazilian soccer school, he called it. And it was focused primarily on primary school to high school kids, you know, developed his training program, if you like, for them. And you can imagine, they're in Leeds. He's getting these kids to play futsal. Uh, he, he's trying to get into the uh, the whole feeling of it. So he's playing Brazilian music on his on his ghetto blaster, you know, trying to get everyone in the mood. And, and of course, the citizens of Leeds are just looking at him like he's crazy, right? What is this mad guy doing? He kept pushing, kept pushing. Four years later... His under-14s team, you know, just the Leeds under-14s team, beats the Scottish national team for under-14s, right? Then they go off and they beat the Irish under-14s team. I bet the people of Leeds weren't calling him crazy then. Exactly. And I bet the people from Scotland and Ireland weren't too happy about that either, right? And then it goes further and that beyond that, he, some of his players start to get into the English national team. And so now he's created himself a bit of a hotbed of soccer talent. He grows his uh, soccer training uh, schools. He's now uh, takes that from just that one little centre to I think it's twelve countries that the guy's in. And so you know, just from that one observation back in '97, where he sees oh, something going on there, he has the guts to actually try it out, bring it back to Leeds, and has this yeah, really phenomenal turnaround. To me, that's that's the real sense of you know sort of making something happen and innovation. Yeah, yeah. He saw something. He wanted to understand why, and it looks like he found out. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's that's my uh, cool. story for this week. What do you reckon? What's what are things in that story that jump out for you? That you know, I don't know that you like that you think actually work well. Well, I think that one of the things about it that I like is that he just up stumps and headed over to uh, Brazil. Now, I, I kind of wonder where there weren't other motives that he might have gone to Brazil, uh, you know, like the weather, for example. Uh, yes, there's probably lots of motives to go to Brazil for a year when you're 27. Yeah. So, but that was kind of surprising that he would up stumps and, and go over there for a year and uh, in pursuit of this understanding. I think that it's a key point because I think most people see a, a pattern of behaviour and they just go, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow, those Brazilians are or, good. Or they might say, oh, I wonder why. I wonder why those Brazilians are so good. And then that's the end of it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he went, I wonder why. I'm going to find out. Yeah. And, you know, that's the essence of uh, the bright spot strategy, isn't it? You know, you actually have to get your ass off the chair and go to the place where the action is happening. And how many times have you seen people trying to work out what to do next just by sitting at their computers in their office, wondering what's going on in the, you know, the front line of their organisation? Yeah, yeah. So you've got to get out from behind the command console and go out into the real world and find out what's going on. And, uh, because one of the things is that when you're sitting at a desk, it's very hard to see behaviours. Whereas when you're standing in a ghetto in Sao Paulo and yep. you're seeing hundreds of kids uh, playing futsal, well, you can see the behaviour, it's right in your face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing for me, uh, I love stories that uh, have a wide potential audience, right? So you, you think about how many people immediately understand the concept of soccer. That's the world right? game. Apparently so. So, I mean, it may not go over so well in the US, but uh, apart from that, you know, the rest of the world is playing this this game that uh, people know and love. So you share that story, it kind of, it resonates straight away and it makes sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. Uh, 
So as you say, people can associate with it. It's easy to picture. Yeah. Most people can imagine what size a soccer ball is. And so when you say it's smaller than a soccer ball and heavier, that immediately makes sense. Now, of course, I know that there's some people listening to whom that isn't immediately obvious. Yes. Uh, but for the majority of people, it, it, it probably is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So any other um, things that, that we like or perhaps it make, make this, could make the story even better? What, what do you think jumps out for you there? Oh, I, I guess something that could make the story even better, some names perhaps. Yes. Are there any names that went through the Leeds International de Football Saleo who are now household names? Yes. For example, uh, uh, England played very well in the in the recent World Cup. Yep. Right. And did they benefit from yeah. uh, you know a futsal capability? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually learnt this story from a book called The Talent Code. Uh, it's written by Daniel Coyle, and he did mention a name. But the name didn't stick in my mind. And he also mentioned quite a lot of the names of Brazilian soccer stars. Now, I, of course, I remember Pelé, I remember Ronaldo, but there was a whole range of other names, which I think if I could remember them and, and it made more sense to me, if I was more of a soccer person, you know, that would be even a better story, I think. Yeah, you'd probably be better at remembering the names of all those basketballers. Indeed, right. That'd be a totally different thing. So, um, so anyway, that's I think there's some of the things. What about the business point? What, where would we use this story? Well, everyone's talking about innovation. And one of the things that that story illustrates is that this innovation of, foot, of futsal came from identifying something that's being done in one place and transplanting it successfully in another place. And that didn't happen in the office. And I think too, it's almost like the precursor to that where Simon says something along the lines in his mind, you know, why? Why is that happening? And you know, and letting, rather than just letting it slide, he goes out and finds out. So the essence of curiosity. Yeah, and, and really putting into a practical sort of approach of that, you know, I guess that bright spot approach of going out and actually looking at the behaviours. Now, there's no guarantee, of course, that what he saw was the actual answer, right? You know, like he sees futsal, he goes, that's it. He could have easily brought that back and for it to fail. But what he did was he experimented. And I think that's the other element of innovation. Yes, you can see a pattern of behaviour which you think might be beneficial, but then he put in an experiment. And of course, his first experiment would have been relatively small and just sort of in Leeds and, you know, in the local suburban competition or whatever it might be. But obviously he had some successes, he built and built, and next thing you know, the big breakthroughs happen. I like that. And that reminds me of the importance of persistence. Yeah. So he conducted his experiment, started his little school in, in Leeds, but it took four years before there was the big ones, tangible results, you know, well, big results. Yes. And uh, one of the things that we see a lot is that people have these great ideas and give up before the idea matures. Yes. So on three feet from gold, yeah. you, you give up and throw the idea out. I like the importance of persistence that that yeah. shows. You've got yeah, to stick yeah. with something. So, you know, imagine if you're a leader, um, you're talking about innovation, rather than just talking about it in general terms, you tell this story, and then you can actually get people in your organisation to talk about what's significant in it and get them to understand and work out, um, you know, what might be buried in that. But probably more importantly, getting them to then find stories in their organisation which are similar, you know, that, that would be very helpful. And also to ask them... How can we do this sort of thing? Yeah. What are the sort of problems that we're seeing or the opportunities that we're seeing or the questions that we're facing that we think that we could go out and understand more of and help our benefit our business? So those sorts of that story could really trigger those very useful conversations. Yeah. 
Okay, I think it's time for us to give uh, the story a bit of a rating. Give it a rating? Yep, what do you reckon? I told the story, what do you think? Well, again, we assess the stories based not just on how good a story it is, but how usable it is. Uh, I really like the story. Uh, I think it has good application. I'm going to give it a six. A six? Seems pretty low for, you know, like the application and the stories, and you still give it a six. What's going on there? Well, you're feeling a bit you, tight. Do I, do I have to uh, rationalise or justify my? No, uh, no, you don't. No, but I'll I'm happy to. Okay, I'm happy to. Yes. Why wouldn't you give it higher? Simply because the utility of the story, the application, is clear but limited. Right. I reckon for me, I would give it an eight because I really do believe I could tell this story. In fact, I know I can because I've told it. I know probably three times since I learnt the story reading the book. And the thing about it, what I know is the response I get, right? So I've had that experience of actually people responding to the story and I can see their eyes light up and how it triggers other things for them. So I think I would probably keep telling it as a, as a story. And it's actually kind of a story that's got an element of entertainment about it. I mean, a good story does anyway. So yeah, I'm giving it eight. Fantastic. Radio. so... Anything else we need to cover? Anything, anything that uh, we have to share with our listeners about what's going on in Anecdote at the moment? Uh, any news that we want to uh, get out there? Uh, one of the things will be uh, in Europe. We'll be in, I'll be in Madrid for a week in September. Yep. Running a public workshop on the 5th of September in Madrid. So uh, oh, it'll be in English, by the way. So uh, if right. you've got expectations that it'll be in Spanish, then uh, I can't even say sorry in Spanish. <laughs> so... Feel free to, uh, if you are in Europe and you're interested in attending one of our workshops, 5th of September in Madrid. What else? IABC is running a big uh, conference in Melbourne in a few weeks' time called the Fusion Conference uh, for communicators from Asia Pacific. And I'm giving a keynote talk at that conference. So, you know, check it out. If you look under IABC and Fusion and Melbourne, you will find it and you'll sort of see the, the full... Uh, breadth of things that are going on there. And what are you talking on? What's the topic? Well, I'm actually talking about strategy stories. So, uh, you know, last year I gave a talk at IABC in their World Conference in Washington, D.C., and it was very well received, uh, the strategy story talk. And so they've asked me to to uh, sort of do a, a new version of that, if you like, for 2018. So really looking forward to it. It's going to be great fun. Fantastic. Right, guys. Well, thanks again for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. Definitely jump in and, you know, sort of provide uh, your feedback, uh, your ratings, uh, helps people find this podcast and other people can learn more stories. This is what we want to do is build our repertoire. But tune in next time for our next episode on how we can all put stories to work. Until then.